Look at the next statement. What sin can condemn a believer? And you, being dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of your flesh, hath he quickened together, means to be made alive, with him, get this, having forgiven you all trespasses. That means you overstepped the boundary. You broke a law. Thou shalt not step on the grass. You stepped on the grass. And God says, everybody has trespassed, overstepped the boundary. We've done something we were told not to do. So we've all sinned against God. Blotting out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us, which was contrary to us, and he took it out of the way, nailing it to his cross. Now, in this one church, they had a, a big, you know, wooden cross. They put it up there in the front. And then they had everybody in there with a little piece of paper, and they wrote their name on it. And I don't know if they put down there any of their sins, but they put their name. And every one of them came down, and they took the hammer and a nail, and they nailed it to the cross. After a while, that cross had these little notes all over it, totally covered, where people had put their name on it. And they did this at the end of a service. So everybody was getting up and coming down. And it was um, representative of, you know, Jesus Christ paying for your sins. He died for you. And took everything that was against you and nailed it to his cross. And he paid for your sins. It's a good illustration. I don't see anything wrong with it. You do everything you can to try to cement it in your mind. I have a, a stone in my office sitting on my desk. And it has, um, it, it's a rock, just a rock, pretty rock. And it has on there, number one, first rock. I got that from Lee Patton. He preached a sermon one time at his church on the first rock. When they brought to him the woman that had sinned, caught in adultery, and says, let him that hath no sin cast the first rock. So, he gave out a little first rock to everybody. And so he says, when you, you, you think about that, remember, you've also got sin. And so you can cast the first rock if you have no sin. It kind of keeps you in perspective about not being so quick to criticize everybody else for all their wrongdoings. Everybody fails. Everybody sins. Everybody comes short of the perfection of God. And after you trusted Christ as your Savior, Savior, He has forgiven you of all sin. Forgiveness of sins means you don't have to pay for them. In the Old Testament, it talks a lot about forgiveness of sin. David talked about it. And it's mentioned over and over again. And that was the purpose of the sacrifices they made, though it never took away sin. But they were to believe in a Savior that one day would. That's why whenever even the woman in Samaria... She says, we've heard, come and see if this is not the Christ, the Savior of the world. Christ, the Savior of the world. So they knew that Christ was going to come and save. That's what he's about. The next statement at the bottom of the page. The only way you could ever be condemned in the future would be if there was a sin you could commit for which Christ did not die. 
If Christ did not pay for those sins, and you lose your salvation, how can those sins ever be paid for? But this man, after he had offered one sacrifice forever, sat down on the right hand of God. He offered one sacrifice for sins forever. So either he paid for all of them when he came and made a payment, because he says he's never coming back to make another payment. One payment forever. Now, if you could lose your salvation because you committed a sin Christ didn't pay for, how is that sin ever going to get paid for? Because he ain't coming back to make another payment for our sins. Do you know if he had to come back and pay for our sins that he didn't pay for the first time, he only paid for them up to the time you believe, he wouldn't get off the cross. Because we'd keep him there. He'd be on there today to pay for what you did. And tomorrow he'd be on there to pay for what you did. And then every once in a while I'd probably commit one. Everybody would be keeping him on the cross. He'd never get off. But when he came, he made a payment for the sins of the whole world once and for all. For all. He made a payment forever. Set down. Why? Because the job was done. It is finished. And if you lose your salvation, he died only once, and he won't die again, so you can never get saved again. That's why even in the book of Hebrews in chapter 6, you cannot be saved again if you could lose your salvation. If you could lose it, you can't get it back. And you can't lose it because it's not in your hands. You're not the Savior. So you see, when you trust Christ as Savior, it's like you took your soul and you committed it to him for safekeeping. You ever take money and put it in the bank for safekeeping? It may be saved. It may not be. But you commit yourself. That's why he says, I am not ashamed. I'm not ashamed in whom I have believed. I am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I committed to him. He's the Savior. Turn your page over. Page 2. At the top of the page, is there one sin that Christ didn't pay for? No. He paid for all of them. Who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from all iniquity. All iniquity. All sin. Titus chapter 2 and verse 14. Also it says, be it known unto you, men and brethren, that through this man is preached unto you the forgiveness of sins. And by him, get this, all that believe are justified from all things from which you could not be justified by the law of Moses. So whatever Christ did, it was for the purpose of you being justified. Nothing could be held against you. Anything that would be against you, he took care of so that there's no reason why you can't be justified, just as if you'd never sinned. He paid for all sin. You see, your Christian life, your maturity in the Lord, your spiritual discernment down the road, all hinges upon the security of your own salvation. There cannot be cracks in your foundation, doubts in your salvation, not to grow strong and spiritual the way God wants you to do it. That's why so many Christians are shaky and so forth. They're not as grounded as they think. And then if you really get this and really understand this, did you know it's most difficult for you just to go to any church you want to and say, well, it doesn't matter. 
If anything matters, this ought to matter. But see, sometimes when you don't have the stability that you think you have, any church will do, any message you'll do. They're not as good at it, but it's okay. And next thing you know, you're supporting the preacher. You're supporting their missionaries and helping them to spread a message at one time you thought was totally wrong. How can that happen? Because you've got cracks in your foundation. You've got to be solid on what is the gospel. What did Christ do for me? How can you discern, distinguish between salvation and service and grace and works, keeping the things separate? So very important. Look at the second paragraph down. A believer is justified, declared righteous in God's sight. Why? His sins are paid for. He has been given Christ's righteousness. And be found in him, not having mine own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith. So there's two kinds of righteousness mentioned here. The righteousness of man, the righteousness of God. So he says, and be not found having your own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith. So there is a by works righteousness and a by faith righteousness. One that you try to earn, he says, don't be found there. But the by faith righteousness is the righteousness that God gives to you because of your faith in him. One is free, one you have to earn. The one you have to earn, he says, don't be found trusting in your works for salvation. Is that clear or is that not clear? That's what the book says. That's why he also made the statement in the book of Romans in chapter 10. He says, my heart's desire and prayer for Israel is that they might be saved. For I bear them record that they have a zeal of God, but not according to knowledge. For they being ignorant of the righteousness of God, going about to establish their own righteousness and have some not submitted themselves unto the righteousness of God. And therefore, he says, Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone that believeth. All you need is Christ. And he made that complete payment for our sins. Look at the next paragraph. In whom you also trusted after that you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. In whom you also, after that you believed, you were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise, that the earnest, which is a down payment, of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession unto the praise of His glory. The Holy Spirit, God Himself, comes to indwell a person the moment he believes in Christ. He is the earnest of our inheritance. Earnest is the Greek word which means a pledge that is part of the purchase money or property given in advance as security for the rest of our inheritance. In other words, if you have the Holy Spirit today, that is your guarantee the rest is on the way. And he can't change that. That's the down payment. Do you think he'll finish what he started? And the Ephesians chapter 4 verse 30, when he talks about, you know, the Holy Spirit, and you are sealed by the Holy Spirit of God. And grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby you're sealed until the day of redemption. So there's a time limit, and you can't be lost. So he saves you here until you get there. 
He doesn't save you for a, a week or a month or a year. It's forever until you arrive safely where God has a place for you. I think it's wonderful to know that. Look at the last statement in that paragraph. We have the new birth now. And in heaven, our redemption will be complete as we receive our new glorified bodies. As he says in Philippians in chapter 3, to change our vile bodies. That body you got, that when you look in the mirror every day, and you shave and comb your hair or put on your lipstick, and ah, oh, you just look so pretty. God says it's a vile body. Ugh. Could have made it a little bit nicer, couldn't he? You notice that the older, I looked in the mirror the other day. I made a mistake. I was going, not because I looked in the mirror. I, I, I had sat down at the computer, and I was looking at some of the old pictures of ranch and some of the uh, Valentine banquet things like that that we had had years ago. And this was back in 1972. You know, I thought, that's 40 years ago. And I looked at those pictures when that, I said, boy, you look young. And then I looked in the mirror. These vile bodies of ours. Time is moving on and we're getting older. And God's going to change these old bodies. And we're going to be just like the Lord. We're going to have a glorified body. Sounds good to me. Look at the next statement. The Holy Spirit indwells every believer forever. So if a believer could lose his salvation and go to hell, the Holy Spirit would have to go to hell also. That is impossible. Because the Holy Spirit, our security, indwells us forever. We are eternally secure. Eternal life lasts forever. All believers are perfected forever. The Holy Spirit indwells a believer forever. Seems like a long time, don't it? Forever, forever, forever. Do you know what? I actually believe that when he says forever, he means forever. Now, some people don't mean, think he means forever. means forever. It just means till you sin again. You know, I think God is capable of saying that if that's what he meant. But what if this is what he meant? What if this is really what he meant? And he said what he meant. There's some people that go to the Bible with preconceived ideas and they try to twist the scriptures and make them say what they wanted to say or what they believe. Uh, God can't do that. You can't tell me you can just trust Christ as your Savior and go to heaven. Okay, I can't tell you. But God said it. I lived long enough to realize I can't convince everybody. But I, I rebel against the idea of somebody trying to tell me that I can't believe what God says. I'll believe what God says, and I don't worry about what man says. Look at the verse right before this, where he says, The Holy Spirit himself is our security. He is the Holy Spirit of promise, because Christ hath promised him to all believers. And I will pray the Father, or ask the Father. He shall give you another comforter, which is the Holy Spirit, that he may abide with you temporarily, no, forever. The spirit of truth. So when you trusted Christ as your Savior, you were indwelt by the Holy Spirit, and God gave to you 
the free gift of everlasting life, and you get to go to heaven on what Jesus Christ did for you. Look at the next paragraph down there, where he says, And I give unto them eternal life. Now, with most people, they say, And I charge them eternal life. You know, it's on the credit card. They got to make payments. No, I give them eternal life. And they shall never, that means in the future, ever perish. Neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. Uh, wouldn't you just think by looking at that, that sounds pretty secure to me. I wonder, I wonder, I wonder if this is really what he meant to say. Well, why didn't he just say what he really meant to say? But according to this verse, he says, I give them eternal life. They shall never perish. And neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. It seems like that's what he's talking about. Look at it. The word never comes from four Greek root words. The first is ome, not at all. A double negative strengthens the denial. Double negatives are proper in some languages, such as Greek and Spanish, but definitely not in English. When I, when I took English down at Florida Bible College, Mrs. Stanford come up, and I always told her, I said, now, if I make some wrong statements or anything like that, you, you correct me, okay? And I thought she'd have a couple things. She came up, and she had page after page. She says, Yankee, your biggest fault is you use these double negatives. I said, I don't do that. She says, you're not supposed to say those double negatives. She forgot, I came from Georgia. That's how most people talk. I'm not saying everybody does, you know, but sometimes I can write right and I can read right. I can teach right, but I just can't talk right. But look what he says here. In these languages, they deny or strengthen the denial. God says a person will never, ever, no, at any time, ever perish, male or female, neuter, if you don't know what you are. But it means never. He that did trust Christ as a Savior at one time, but now believes that good works save him, is saved because of what he did believe, not because of what he now believes. When God gives eternal life, or when does God give eternal life? He that believeth on me hath, present tense, hath, right now, hath everlasting life. You only need to believe once, and you have eternal life. But that little statement, when does God give you eternal life? You trust Christ as your Savior today. When do you expect to get eternal life? Tomorrow. Next week. When do you expect to get eternal life? If you trust Christ today. Anybody got an answer? Today. Now. Now. All right, if you could lose your salvation. At what point, moment, in time, did you lose it? If I can know I have it, can I know when I don't have it? Do you know people who teach that you can lose your salvation never know exactly what moment you lose it? There's no way of knowing. Can you deceive yourself? 
<clears throat> you most certainly can be deceived. And a lot of people are. And so they do not understand. The foundation of God should not have cracks in it. You ought to be sold on what you believe about salvation by grace and grace alone. And you can't question or doubt your eternal security. It must be, I believe that. Because you waver in your Christian life about all kinds of things when you're not sure if you're even going to make it. I have absolutely no doubt, no question about me entering into the pearly gates. I know that I'm going there. I don't have any question. I don't doubt it. I don't wake up in the middle of the night. Oh, I don't know if I'm going to make it or not. I know I'm going. I couldn't go to hell if I tried. I haven't. But I can't go to hell. Today or tomorrow or ever. Why? Because I believe what the Word of God says. That is so very important. Look at the last statement. If a person cannot lose their salvation, does this mean a believer can then live as he pleases? Oh, you can try. Can you live as you please? Well, most people do. But you forget about the consequences. You know, for example, I have an axe laying up here. I got my arm and I lay it over this log. You know, I don't really need this hand. I haven't used it in three weeks. Chop my hand off. All right. Later on, Lord, that was a dumb decision I made. Will you forgive me? God can forgive me. He can forgive me. But that doesn't put my hand back on. You can make a lot of decisions that God will forgive you for because he's a loving father. But it doesn't undo the damage. You drink a little white lightning all your life and ruin your kidneys. God, forgive me. That was so wrong. That was so wicked. God says, I know it was. I tried to tell you. But that doesn't necessarily heal your kidneys. It doesn't undo the damage that you do. Okay, so you got mad, you shot your wife. Can God forgive you? Well, of course he can. Does that bring the wife back from the dead? No. Oh, eventually she'll go, yeah. But you see, there's consequences to your wrong decisions. And that's why he says, clear up this misunderstanding by explaining that God chastens every one of his children. When a believer sins, there is a consequence. There's cause and effect. Look up here. This hand represent you and me. But understand, the only thing anybody has to do to go to heaven is to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. This ends you and me. Wallet, sin. We all sin. All of us have sinned. Nobody's perfect. And God says the wages of sin is death. So we committed the sin. We're in debt. We got a price to pay. We're all guilty. God says the whole world is guilty before God. And so therefore we're condemned. But God loves us and wants us to go to heaven. And to go to heaven we have to be perfect as righteous as God. Because heaven is a perfect place. And God is perfect. And we're not. 
So how in the world can imperfect people produce perfect works? Can't happen. It's impossible. You see, sinners produce sin. You have to be good just to bring forth good. You have to be perfect to bring forth perfection. Ain't going to happen. So God says you can't save yourself. This hand represents Jesus Christ. He's the Lord God in the flesh. Came into the world because he loves us. Hates our sin because it separates us from him. So Jesus Christ, who had no sin, did not have to die. But because he loves us and our sin separates us, he took it, paid for it, came back from the dead and said, if you and I, if we would simply believe, he did that for me. He paid for my sins. If he paid for my sins, it means I don't have to pay for them. I don't have to go to hell because he paid for my sins. How many? All of them. If I believe this, what will he give me? The free gift of eternal life and take me to heaven whenever I die. So I have eternal life. How do I know? Because he said so. And who is this he? Whom I have believed. He's the Lord, and I believe the Lord. Let's pray, shall we? With every head bowed and every eye closed and no one looking around. If you're here tonight, never trusted Christ, may have heard about it all your life, but maybe never really understood. Why not just right now and just say, Lord, I, I don't have all the answers. I don't understand it all. But I do want to go to heaven when I die. And I believe Christ died and paid for my sins. All of them. And I'm going to trust him right now as my only hope of going to heaven. Friend, God said if you would just do that much, it's all you have to do. He would save you from hell, give you eternal life, and you get to go to heaven. Is there anyone at all before we close? If you're watching by internet tonight, just right where you are, the same thing goes for you. Will you trust Jesus Christ as your Savior? I pray that you will. Our Father, we thank you so much for your word that you've given us. And we pray that each one would truly grasp the importance of having a foundation without cracks in it. That we could see and understand that, yes, salvation is truly the gift of God. Not of works, lest any man should boast. And help us, Father, that to know that understand that, believe that, and rest in it. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.